I'm Dave Monaco, the Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. As recent episodes have demonstrated, we certainly love to come together as people to serve causes that matter to us. Today's episode, though, takes us in a new direction. It is the first of several that will look at our theme of the year together through a different lens. Specifically, we want to examine how it is that we come together to collaborate, to play, and to create. Indeed, teamwork, be it in the classroom, on the field, or on stage, provides one of the most common and powerful examples of how humans amplify the talents of one another. I'm so excited to get this segment of the podcast started with our next guest, himself a former Parish Panther. Charles Cook graduated from Parish in 2011, a star both in the classroom and on the field. Charles, along with his twin brother James, was a member of Parish's first state championship winning football team in 2010. He also was a stalwart on the Parish baseball team. From Parish, Charles went off to Yale, where he accomplished the rare feat of being a collegiate letter winner in two sports, football and baseball. His performance at Yale even earned him pre-draft and minicap invites by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Dallas Cowboys. Charles' experience on the power of collective play and the transformational experience of teamwork, though, goes well beyond his playing days. In 2016, he began a career on the management side of professional sports, beginning first as a baseball operations apprentice with the Houston Astros, and then rising rapidly to his position today as the organization's director of player evaluation. As someone who's been on numerous teams and now identifies and evaluates talent to help build a successful one, I wanted to learn from Charles about the power of play. How is it that playing together unites us and serves oftentimes to be a leveler of differences? What does being a high-quality team member ask of the individual? What makes one team's chemistry potent while another's becomes toxic? What characteristics beyond athletic ability does Charles look for in the prospects he evaluates for the Astros? There is so much to explore in this conversation with yet another of Parrish's most impressive alumni. Enjoy this chat with Charles Cook, Parrish Class of 2011. Welcome back to the From My Angle podcast, and I am excited to take a pivot in our approach to this question of what it means to come together and look at it through a different lens as we begin the month of March. We've had such a good time thinking about together and how we unify with others around service in recent episodes, but I wanted to take a look at how we come together around play and collaboration and creation. So over the next couple of months, we'll be looking at teamwork and athletics, the creative element that we see in the arts, to think about how those things serve as unifiers of people. So to get us started, I knew back in August who I wanted to have on for this first episode to talk about play and how play and teamwork and uh, the pursuit of team goals bring us together. And that's Charles Cook, graduate from the Parish class of 2011 an athlete and a scholar. He went off to play and learn at Yale and has taken his professional career into professional sports. So who better to talk about the transformational experience of teamwork than Charles Cook, class of 2011. So glad of an alum on the show. Charles, good morning. How are you? 
Good morning. I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So glad to have you back and to catch up with you a little bit and um, tangentially about your family, a full parish family you all were. But let's just catch up on this crazy year. And now week, we are a couple of days out from Snowmageddon here at the uh, end of uh, February 2021. 20, uh, How have you come through all that has befallen us, uh, especially pre- professionally and personally through the pandemic, through the snowstorm of the last week? How are you, how are you holding up, partner? So I'm doing well. Um, My family and I have been very fortunate to be safe and healthy throughout the pandemic. Uh, With respect to the storm last week, I actually missed missed out on on what happened. I had bolted to the Dominican Republic the day before that the storm hit in Houston. Um, And then I was out for about five days with no way to get back. Um, And my wife, I'm, I'm now married, um, which is worth mentioning. Uh, that's a significant change since the last time you and I spoke. But um, my wife, Taryn, was in Houston holding down the fort at our place, taking care of it, making sure that we didn't have any significant problems. Um, so we came out relatively unscathed. Uh, for me, I, I missed out. And um, it was an 85-degree sunny Dominican Republic. But, uh, but anyway, thanks for asking. I hope you and everybody else listening is doing okay as well. Yeah, it's a funny story. Um, you know, baseball, baseball folks go to nice places, and Dominican's one of them because uh, there's a lot of talent down there to uh, to go look at. So you, you had good fortune in where you uh, timed that. Not so much for Taryn, but it's definitely good for you. And thanks for asking. Everybody up here is uh, doing the best they can, you know, to make their way through it. You mentioned relative to your workspace there, uh, and you work for the Houston Astros, as we'll get into in the podcast a little bit, but you mentioned that you all have been at 50% capacity, and and certainly the pandemic has had very visible and public impact on professional sports writ large, but as someone who works on the management side of, uh, of a professional organization, how have you seen the pandemic change the way that you all work and, and come together uh, to, to, to do business? Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting 12 months. Um, as you mentioned, it has impacted many different industries, uh, sports being one of them. Uh, in 2020, we were fortunate to have a 60-game season. We're now ramping up for a full season in 2021. Uh, spring training actually just kicked off the other day for us. We had our first full team workout yesterday. Um, and then for me, uh, focusing on the player evaluation side, uh, mostly the procurement of amateur talent. So um, high school seniors or, or college players that'll be selected in the draft, which is in July, and then also internationally uh, amateur players that come out of countries like Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Mexico, really other pla- any place around the globe um, has been impacted as well. Um, there's been less travel, less access to see players. So we've had to get creative with the way that we uh, go about our business, uh, but fortunate to still still be working, still have um, a season coming up and excited about uh, better days ahead in 2021. Yeah, not to digress too far off of our term, term uh, kind of topic of the day, which is how we come together and, and unify around sports. But how many of those changes to how you, for example, have evaluated talent remotely do you think will persist beyond the, beyond the pandemic? So I think that some of the changes will persist. Um, I think that we have identified new 
pieces of information and new methods of evaluating talent that um, will supplement the way that we have traditionally done business. I'm absolutely hopeful that we can get back to uh, a more normal um, everyday business. But I do think that some of the changes specifically with the way that we um, do meetings like this on Zoom with players to get to know them, to talk about uh, what their motivation is behind why they play and things like that. Um, and then also using different sources of technology and data in order to evaluate remotely. But I do think some of those changes will persist, but hopefully it's alongside um, many of the other practices that we put into, put into place historically. Yeah, it, it, you want to be able to put put your eyes on talent in actually in in the in the in the competition and in the in the arena, so to speak. So I'm sure you're anxious to get back and, and see it in that in that regard. So you have a, a ten year reunion for Paris coming up here, partner in the in the spring. So this is a, 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 a valuable time, I think, an appropriate time anyway to ask you to reflect for a moment on your Parish experience here. You've got the gift of a decade. Uh, to roll back and 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 sort of think back to your parish experience. So, uh, what are a couple parish memories that uh, still to this day bring a smile to Charles Cook's face? Yeah, no, I'm I'm looking forward to the 10 year reunion and hope that we can make that happen um, at some point in 2021. Um, but I, I think I mean generally, parish had a tremendous impact um, on my life and, and the direction that it's taken since. 2011, uh, over the past 10 years, um, for a lot of different reasons. I mean, it was a tremendous place to grow in multiple areas, whether it was the athletic field, whether it was the classroom, uh, whether it was just uh, the fellowship with classmates and teammates, many of which I, I still keep in touch with today um, and, and cherish a lot of those relationships. Um, I think one of the my favorite memory, uh, well, it's tough to say one, but I think one of them was certainly winning the state uh, football championship in 2010. That was um, December 4th, 2010. So a little over 10 years now, but um, on that day, on December 4th of 2020, just a few months ago, we had a group of probably 20 to 25 um, individuals that we couldn't get together physically for obvious reasons, but uh, we connected via group message and shared memories um, and, and talked about that season, that game, but then beyond that, caught up on what everybody is doing now. Um, and I think, you know, that shared experience of, and I, I started playing football in fifth grade there when, when the program was started. So I, it was seven or eight years with some of those guys. Um, yeah. And over the past 10 years, we haven't necessarily all stayed in touch with regularity, but going through an experience like that, um, I think it, it has a unique way sport does of cultivating these very special bonds. Um, and to be able to reflect on that and, and catch up and um, feel like it's been one month, not 10 years is, is really, really special to me. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, as one who coached for 20 years before I came to Parish and, and spent a lot of time uh, in that in that space, that phenomenon that you describe where time evaporates 
uh, when you reconnect with people that you've uh, gone through the trials and tribulations of a, of a shared pursuit. And I think ultimately, as we'll get into here in this conversation, what sports does is it give, it's just one other vehicle for providing a, a group of individuals a shared pursuit and the um, sort of, uh, Odysseus-like journey that one goes through, right, in the cycles of highs and lows uh, are uh, unique to those individuals and just exceptionally bonding. But Parrish was a family affair for you too. So it, you, you had a twin brother, James, and a, a, younger, a, a younger sister, Caroline, who graduated with my son, TC, in 2016. So fill us in a little bit on how the rest of the family's doing. So James and Caroline are doing very well. Um, I, I like when people ask me this because I truly believe they're doing things that are far more impressive and noble than I am. Um, James is actually living out in Southern California. He's a surgeon in his second year of residency. Um, so he went to medical school in Houston. We lived together while he was here uh, for a handful of years. And then he moved out to Southern California a couple of years ago. Um, and he's doing great. Um, and then Caroline is in her last semester at LSU. Um, she will graduate in just a couple months here. And then she's going to pursue the noble career of being a teacher. So both of them are doing very well. Fantastic. <laughs> she needs to reconnect back at Parrish and uh, give us a little update on where she's looking to target her, uh, her teaching and, and uh, what she's up to. That's been fantastic, fantastic news. Um, give them all the best and we'll look forward to seeing them back on campus next year um, is our 50th as you may or may not know and so there will be a lot of campus events and we'll certainly look forward to getting as many of you alums back as we can. So you've mentioned a bit about your role presently with the Astros as, uh, as a director of player evaluation and a little bit of what that entails but give us some give us a sense of what the uh, what the role is you've uh, moved through the organization over the last five years doing a variety of different things but are now occupying this space. So tell us a little bit more about uh, your journey and what your primary responsibilities are now with uh, as director of player evaluation. Yeah, so I, I started working for the Astros in January of 2016. Uh, so it's been just a little bit over five years. Uh, my role, as you mentioned, has evolved a bit over time. It's uh, for the most part been focused on the player evaluation side of things. Uh, really since I started. And so today in my current position, I'm responsible for designing the, the process that our organization uses to uh, procure amateur talent. And so there's two markets that you can acquire amateur players in. One's the, uh, the, the domestic amateur market, which is the draft, as we talked about, the, um, the high school seniors and the college players that get selected every year. And the other is the international amateur market, which is um, oftentimes young 16, 17, 18 year old players uh, that come out of countries like Dominican Republic, Venezuela, um, other places. So ultimately my focus is on finding ways uh, for us as an organization to synthesize the information we have on these players and guide um, informed decisions on which players we should pursue. How, what is the what is the team that works that you work with like a number? Is it scouts primarily? Is it uh, numbers and, uh, and uh, number analysts and things of that nature? Is the way metrics in, in baseball have become uh, really synonymous? So who who works either for or with you? So it's 
It's a uh, multifaceted effort. There are a number of scouts uh, that I work with and collaborate with both in the United States uh, in, in various regions throughout the country where talent is typically dense. Um, and then also internationally, we have a group uh, based in Dominican Republic. We have, um, we even have uh, a scout in Mexico and a couple scouts in Venezuela. So um, we're all spread out. And then beyond that scouting effort, we also have, uh, as you mentioned, a group that's focused on crunching the numbers and gleaning insights from new tech and new data and, and innovative ways to, to sort of quantify um, talent and, and uh, expected future production and things like that. But, but yeah, it's, a, it's a, a mix of people with various backgrounds that all work together with the common goal of, um, of finding ways to, to, to really to find future major league players. Yeah, and I don't know that any sport has been as transformed by data, perhaps uh, perhaps most recently the NBA, but I don't know if any sport that's been transformed by data as much as uh, baseball was really as the pioneers and the first to enter into this uh, deep use of, of analytics. I know it's a combination of art and science. You know, it's, uh, it's the human element of what you see through your eyes and then what your team also crunches in, uh, in, in the unique uh, algorithms that each team has developed to try to uh, understand what uh, skill sets best fit their vision for the club. So it sounds like really exciting, exciting work. But I mean, tapping into that, both your professional experience now, kind of working with a team to build a team, if you will, but then as a two-sport athlete at Parrish, a two-sport athlete at Yale, uniquely so, right, playing both baseball and, and football there, you have had an immense amount of experience in the team environment. And so, you know, as we were referencing at the top of the conversation, this camaraderie of team is perhaps its most powerful elixir. And I'm trying to suss it out and pull it apart, right? Like what, what is it uh, about that uh, uh, um, a team composition and chemistry that matters, matters so much? But before we dig a little bit into that, like as you look back at your present work career in teams and your playing career on teams, what is it about being on a team that you derive the most value from? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, it's one that I have spent some time thinking about. And I, I think I'll start by saying that when I think about the camaraderie aspect and what I most value about being a part of a team, I really believe, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on your podcast here, but I think that I felt the strongest level of that uh, camaraderie at the high school level because as you get higher and higher, whether you go play in college or you go to the pro level, um, other factors start to influence the motivation of why you play. At the high school level, for the most part, um, you know, we played because we either just love to play the game or we love to compete, we love to win, we love to be with our teammates. Um, all of those very pure reasons that I think mutually align with the team's objective of um, you know, of, of winning games and having fun um, and, and things like that. So I think, uh, at least to me, when I think back on it, this mutual alignment in motivation and objective and, and going through all of the experiences, the ups and downs, the early mornings, the, um, you know, the long practices, having to go through those at sometimes difficult experiences and being forced to lean into your teammates 
and get to know them and rely on them um, and, and form those relationships to me is the most powerful um, you know, aspect of, of being part of a team. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, you know, because again, having coached young men for as long as I did and, and, and work with young people as an educator, I think in um, those early years when you come to a sport, it is the place where you begin to find your identity, right? I, I, so it, it becomes a very much a, a fabric of who you are, with whom you associate, how you're seen and recognized as an adolescent at a time when it really matters to you how you project, right, and who, and who you're seen as. And I think, um, again, to your point, as as we age, um, you know, for for those pro athletes that you're working with on the Astros, I'm sure a lot of them identify, you know, I'm an athlete, I'm a professional baseball player. But there are other parameters, um, their personal wealth, their their achievement, their legacy, things that begin to uh, uh, maybe supersede the identification that comes with being on a team. But I think that's another piece of it, too, for young people, especially it gives them a, it gives them a tribe. Right. It gives them a, it gives them brothers or sisters, a place to connect and a place where they're sort of recognized as somebody. Um, and I, I kind of sense that in what you're what you're talking about, too. You know, what's else interesting, Charles, you kind of reference it is this idea of vulnerability. Right. So, you know, when you're on a team, regardless of what age, collegiate, high school or pro, you're putting yourself out there and you're going to fail. Right. And you're going to fail sometimes in really public ways. And so you talked about the trials and tribulations and the highs and lows. But there's this notion that the guys or gals that you're unified with on your perspective team, they're seeing you at some of your lowest moments. Right. And, and I think that's bonding. You know, that's when you come together like that and you put yourself out there, and you make that sacrifice. That really makes a difference. How, how do you recall how do you recall that experience too with your the highs that with the highs and lows with your teammates and this vulnerability? Yeah, I think you are exactly right. Um, vulnerability is something that being a part of team sports um, forces you to encounter. Um, I mean, I, I remember thinking back on my college playing days. Um, I was. At the time, I was playing outside linebacker, and I had a position coach who was responsible for just that position, and we had one spot. So I had a position coach who wasn't coaching, you know, the four defensive backs or the D-line. It was one spot. And I, for that year, uh, pretty much started every game and played every snap. So the next morning when we'd go to watch the film, I had one coach, I had my seven teammates, and every play was me under a microscope and oftentimes my coach pointing out what I did wrong, why I didn't do X, Y, or Z. And so um, it's extremely vulnerable. And it's, it's this experience where uh, you, you're under a microscope and um, it's, it's difficult. It's not comfortable, but it forces you, at least for me in my experience, it forced me to lean into the relationships with my teammates uh, and build trust so that I knew um, that I had their back and they had my back. And um, I don't know, it, it, it does, as you mentioned, force you to, to cope with these sorts of feelings that don't, um, I think are important, but don't, there's not that many different avenues, at least in my life that I, you know, 
come across those sorts of experiences. So it's a deeply, um, it's a deeply authentic environment because you cannot predict how things are going to unfold or turn out, right? Not that you can in your work life today or my work life today. Lord knows this uh, year has taught us that life is anything but unpredictable. But I think for young people, it provides a very controlled um, uh, environment, a team that is then going to go through a set of very unpredictable circumstances together, especially when it comes to game competition, that in their normal course of life, living out of their home, going to school every day, taking their tests, you know, doing their, going to their practice, um, it doesn't, it doesn't offer the range of emotion and, and at times the, the sheer joy of accomplishing a common goal with, with peers or just the bitter uh, pain of, you know, putting in time and, and coming up short, which brings us to this next piece, which is like, Teams ultimately are comprised of people who are uh, um, from a wide spectrum and range of identities and backgrounds, and it becomes very much of a, of a leveling experience, right, for individuals. So in this world of diversity and inclusion and this uh, idea of how we come together across boundaries of identity is so much top of mind, how have you seen teams foster uh, a sense of unity despite difference in, in background and identity? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And um, the opportunity that I had to go to Yale and play two different sports um, and also come across individuals outside the arena of sports that had wildly different backgrounds than myself is one that I didn't have the foresight to uh, bake that into my decision to go to school there. But I'm so grateful that I did have that experience um, because as you mentioned, uh, I got to know so many people that were from different backgrounds, had different worldviews, uh, had, had different perceptions of this country and this world. Um, and when you, when you go to practice, you have the long film sessions, you have the early mornings. Um, you know, number one, those things start to not influence um, your view of each other because you're all in it together. But beyond that, I feel like I learned so much from, from the different worldviews and from the different perspectives that ultimately challenged my own understanding of some important topics um, and, and ultimately enhanced my own understanding of big concepts that at the time, um, you know, I, I don't think that I had quite uh, a comprehensive lens through which I was viewing them. Yeah, you know, today's world, as polarized as it is, Charles, it, it doesn't it doesn't provide too many opportunities for people to come to the table, right? So everybody stays over in their little echo chambers and begins to cast dispersions and perspectives and beliefs and prejudgments at people on the other side of the table. And it seems to me, you know, one of the great beauties of sport is that it becomes the table. You know, that team becomes the it becomes the reason. For all these people of disparate backgrounds to have to come and sit around the table and sometimes you know forming a team and team chemistry can be really problematic to to, to build it in a healthy way uh, but when it works you know the symmetry and synergy among all the different uh people on a team all the different identities and backgrounds and beliefs is a really amazing and powerful thing and, and uh is is really why i think um any young person that can get into it um uh, being in an ensemble based in the arts or team-based endeavor in sports is going to benefit from it in the in the long term. 
So you have to look at this now, like this is a part of your gig. Like we've talked about the metrics in sports and you want to know how fast people can run. And you want to know about their, their arm speed and their bat speed and, and all these uh, elements of, of uh, quantifiable baseball skill. But I suspect you're also trying to suss out, you know, what kind of team member they're going to bring, like, how are they going to create the type of chemistry that we've been referring to as really the, the pinnacle of the, of the team-based experience. So how, how do you go about evaluating talent, especially on the intangible side of like, what kind of teammate is this person going to be when we bring him into our organization? Yeah, I'll start by acknowledging that assessing the intangible, it, it's difficult, um, but it, we, we know that it's critically important because the margins between players and really in any sport uh, today talent wise is razor thin so we know that our advantage in assessing talent is only going to be marginal at best um, therefore uh, one could assume that placing emphasis or, or attempting to squeeze out additional value by maximizing uh, this team aspect um, would be extremely important now, I can't say that we've got it solved, but it is something that we place significant emphasis on. Uh, we attempt to understand from the players' coaches or, or their athletic trainers uh, and their strength coaches um, what kind of teammate they are. Are they the kind – and I guess it's, it's twofold. Number one, um, we look at something that – is termed a growth mindset. And there's literature and research out on this. And um, in general, having a growth mindset would be to understand that development or improvement is, uh, can be changed, can be developed, can be improved over time. So we place emphasis on that. And then beyond that, um, how do they interact with their teammates? If we bring them into our clubhouse, is it gonna be a guy um, and this could be any sport, a guy or a girl, is this going to be somebody that um, is pulling on the same rope in the same direction? Is it somebody that uh, their motivation and their why, why they play aligns with the objective of the team? Or is it somebody that has, um, you know, a self-interested uh, motivation? Because I think those, those can be two very different um, things. And ultimately, for me in my role, we're, we're looking at players that are 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. They're a long way away from the professional field. And so we know that there are going to be significant challenges, ups and downs, um, both personally for them to develop and then also within their team through the minor leagues. Um, so making sure that their why, their motivation to play the game aligns with the rest of the team is, is critically important for us. Yeah. What's fascinating to listen to you too, because I'm sure in your toolkit, there are interviews of the individual. There are, as you said, referencing, talking to coaches, you might even use a survey that they could take and you could try to turn some of that into quantum. There's a lot of tools in your toolkit, but what's fascinating is you're talking about a college kid who's playing ball here in America. You're talking about an 18 year old in Mexico. You're talking about a 16-year-old in Dominican Republic. So you've got all this element of, of, of diversity of context 
right? Where cultures have different perceptions on work ethic or team uh, element or what motivation looks like and how it's manifested or how we come together and interrelate to one another. So it really adds to the level of complexity you talk about to really kind of get it right around intangibles because intangibles are going across all these different segments of, of, uh, of young people that you're looking at across multiple countries, for example. Super. Absolutely. Super, it, super it's, a, it's a multifaceted challenge that, as you mentioned, can be influenced by, uh, you know, the country or the culture that, that the player is coming from. Yeah. Have you all distilled um, a set of values that you think create the healthiest team chemistry? Like, are those nameable to you? I know you mentioned Carol Dweck's, you know, research on the growth mindset, which parish parents will appreciate. It's in our impact document. And we spent a lot of time with our kids talking about this idea of being coachable and having a growth mindset. But are there others that when you think of the qualities that lead to good chemistry uh, are, are ones that you as an organization prioritize? It, it's tough to name specific, you know, a specific set of traits. I, I can't claim that we're, we're there yet. Um, and I think we're always going to be evolving and, uh, and pursuing new information on this. But as you mentioned, the, the growth mindset is a big one that we've poured um, effort into of late. And then also beyond that, just ensuring that we understand what motivates the player. Because, um, you know, if it's, mm -hmm. if it's fame or if it's money or if it's things like that, when you know, we sign them and they're 16 years old and then three years go by and they're still in single A and they're a few years away from the major leagues. They're not famous. They're not making very much money. Those things likely aren't going to sustain them over time. So just trying to tease that. And I think there can be multiple, you know, quote unquote, why um, sort of reasons that a player plays that are they're okay. I, I don't think there's one that needs to be the right answer, but just trying to understand that and make sure that when, when there are those ups and, and lots of downs, because we know that for the vast majority of players and, and in life, there's going to be obstacles and challenges um, that that motivation is going to carry them through those times. I think, you know, as a person that uh, now presently leads a team of employees here at Parish or is, has coached, it was an athlete myself, you know, I come back to this um, idea of uh, what in baseball they call the utility player, you know, like uh, this idea of being uh, self-sacrificial, it's servant leadership in the parlance of leadership uh, educators these days. But, you know, if you talk to me about what's the great teammate, team, teammate, the great teammate is uh, the person that I know is going to sacrifice for the betterment of the whole to suppress his or her ego, to ensure that the, the mission or the task gets accomplished and plug in where he or she wishes, wishes to. So that would be first, like this selflessness that I, if I were building this list um, and then this element of what I call foxhole friend, you know, like who is that person that you know when you turn around when, when the time gets really difficult that they're not going to abandon you. They're going to have, they're going to be right there with you. And so I think a lot about that in my personal life in terms of those people that I most rely on who are my foxhole friends. But I think when you're talking about a team composition, I want to look at somebody who's like, what, what needs to get done? I'm there, you know, as whether it's glorious or inglorious. And then at the end of the day, when the, when the, um, when the heat gets really turned up, 
that they're not going to be like, I'm out, you know, I'm out. <laughs> so those, those are two that strike, strike to my mind, but I think you're right. It's an inexact science and trying to measure it and suss it out of a 16 or 17 or 18 year old. You got your hands full partner. That's a tough job. <laughs> Absolutely. So what's on the, what lies ahead for Charles Cook is like a career in professional sports, what you're, what you're focusing on. And if so, is it in baseball? There are a lot of executives and, and sports management folks now who are jumping between um, between sports because you carry a, a skill set or an ability to, to different sports. Like, what, what are you thinking as best as anybody knows what lies ahead in our futures? Yeah, exactly. I think, um, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly extremely grateful to have the opportunity that I have to work in this field. Um, and I've, I've been here for a, a bit over five years now, and it's been um, it's been a tremendous experience. Uh, I don't necessarily have like a five-year, 10-year plan or anything like that. Um, I, I know that so many people have been impacted over the past year um, employment-wise. Um, so I'm just grateful to have the job that I do. Uh, I don't have any plans to, you know, to pursue other industries or anything like that. I, I love remaining a part of a um, a team. It's certainly different than playing. And, and as I mentioned earlier, high school competition is different than college and college is different than pro. Um, but being, being able to at least keep that taste of competition uh, is something that's really special to me. And, and I look forward to uh, continuing to do it as long as I can. Well, you're doing, you're doing fantastic among so many in this generation of uh, uh, a decade of graduates that uh, I've had the privilege of watching leave this place and, and go out and find their and find their way and, and that uh, that process of, of of self and professional discovery is ongoing, my friend. So enjoy every minute of it and thrive where you are at the moment and keep looking ahead and seeing what piques your curiosity and and uh, and, and and you'll be pulled to it and uh, we'll watch with uh, with bated breath and great pride. So thanks for hanging out with me a little bit and talking. Uh, all, all things, uh, all things, team and coming together around the, the common cause of play and uh, and and the pursuit of championships and, and success on the field. So we appreciate your time. Absolutely, thank you for having me. Parish will always be a, a special place in my uh, in my heart, and I'm looking forward to hopefully at some point here getting up for the the 50 year and then on my own 10 year. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. And go Astros! Hope you all have a hope you all have a successful season. Thank you very much. You, you bet. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. In our next episode, we bring our reflection on the power of play right back to campus. Omari and I will welcome Athletic Director Brett McCabe and senior athletes to talk about our captain's leadership program and how we use it to build positive team cultures within our parish athletic teams. It'll be fun to have Amari back with me and to talk with our student-athletes about their experiences playing for Parrish. Look forward to having you back. <laughs>